This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I know the fact that I'm completely carrying this podcast isn't lost on you. I've given you so many great gems over the years that, you know what, it's time to roll up my sleeves and send this podcast into the future. Well, more on that later, but today, what happens behind the scenes when your company has chosen to pitch on Shark Tank? Tanya Van Court recently appeared with her savings and goal-setting company, Goal Setter, and we'll hear the whole story today. Plus, in our headline segment, Apple's rolled out a new credit card. There's been tons of hype, but is it any good? We'll ask our friend from Tiller, CEO Peter Polson. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer a letter from the mailbag, and still leave time for, yep, you guessed it, my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who actually showed up and are ready to bring it, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Yes, we are. Welcome to Wednesday. I'm Joe Salciha. I average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know who is who here on the microphones for another hump day. And across the card table from me again, Manny looks fired up. My good friend OG. Fired up. Not fired. Can't fire me. Impossible. Yeah, that's a bummer. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> what kind of severance would you get from the Stacky Benjamin show? Oh, well, I would demand seven years because that's how long we've been doing this. And then you would demand that I actually listen to all seven years of podcasts. To figure out what we actually did. (laughs) Right, right. And then you'd find out that we really are the gateway drug for personal finance. Go, oh, that's what we were doing the whole time. That's what that means. It's interesting because now, after seven years of working on your money, you can finally start working on your health, OG. It's about time. Because today's show is brought to you by MetPro. Thanks to MetPro for supporting Stacky Benjamins. For a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert, go to metpro.co slash SB. That's metpro.co slash SB. I'm so excited because I've always wondered what it's like to have a company. What would it be like to have a company that got invited onto Shark Tank? And just how intimidating would it be with the cameras running to stand there in front of the sharks? And do your pitch. Yeah. And you can tell the people that have practiced that and they're like in their script. Yeah. 
Tanya Van Court was somebody who not only has been on our Friday FinTech segment before OG with her company Goal Setter, she was on Shark Tank just a short time ago, and we're going to walk through what happened. And for those of you that didn't see her appearance, did she accept the deal? What deals were offered in the first place? How did she decide if she decided? How did she get on? All that news. Behind the scenes shark take today with, I think, some good lessons about uh, running your business, whether you own your own business or not. I think we all run our own family business, right? Our own numbers. Good stuff there. Plus, Peter Paulson on my dad's shortwave. Apple's got a new credit card. I'm sure you saw that, OG. Yeah, I saw the news. Hmm. Be interested to hear what the experts think about this one. We got one coming down to the basement. Peter Paulson from Tiller is going to weigh in. But we got another headline first, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today I saw in Barron's. This uh, was written by Reshma Kapadia. If you're counting on your house to finance your retirement, you may be walking into a trap. This is something that you and I and financial advisors all over the place think about all the time. And we haven't talked about this. Downsizing is a common feature of retirement planning, the piece reads, but two trends could throw a wrench into that. First, more older Americans are carrying debt, typically mortgages into retirement. Exacerbating this are housing trends that could pose a problem for baby boomers looking to sell large suburban homes to pay off their mortgage and shore up retirement savings. Baby boomers clearly more comfortable holding debt than the prior generation, which sought to pay everything off before retiring says J. Michael Collins, faculty director of the Center for Financial Security at the University of Wisconsin. About 70% of 65 to 74-year-olds hold some debt, 70%. In 2016, that's up from 52 in 1998. Among those 75 and older, almost half had debt, double the 98 level, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. Historically low interest rates over the past decade have made borrowing less painful, of course, and even savvy given the returns delivered by the decade-long bull market in U.S. stocks. But challenges could be ahead. Quote, higher fixed payments in the early part of retirement to cover the mortgage create added strain if there's a portfolio downturn, says Wade Fow, Director of Retirement Research at McLean Asset Management. And those banking on selling their home to pay off their mortgage or home equity line of credit and using the remainder to boost their retirement savings could also run into trouble. Already there are signs that McMansions might not sell as quickly as before and that the allure of a big home in a good school district might not be as appealing to home buyers who are having children later, if at all. The share of home purchasers with children slid from more than half in 1987 to about a third in 2018, according to research by Arthur Nelson, professor of planning and real estate development at the University of Arizona. Fewer people moving into new houses with kids, OG. Changes in the ways people buy houses and in the neighborhoods they move into. Saving for retirement into your house. I agree. It could be a trap. Yeah, especially if you're counting on the continued growth of your housing value over the next 10 or 15 years. If you're sitting there and you're in a major metroplex right now, a California town, or I live in Dallas and our housing prices are crazy, or the Pacific Northwest comes to mind, and you're saying, oh, well, between 
when I bought the house in, when I was 35 and today I'm 50, it's doubled in value. And between 50 and 65, it should double again, right? You know, I bought the house for 350. Now it's worth 700. I should count on this thing being worth 1.4 million. I think there are these really interesting bend points that happen in real estate where the conflux of uh, mortgage rates and demographics and average income and that sort of stuff kind of matter. You know, you can't continually double house prices every 10 or 15 years because income doesn't grow that fast. And if interest rates tick up a little bit, we saw this just recently when interest rates went up to close to 5%, mortgage applications dropped precipitously. You know, last week I saw an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal that interest rates were going back down again and they were finding 4% 30-year mortgages. Mortgage applications spiked in the last week. So this is really problematic, especially if you're counting on it for like a move or something like that where you're looking at, oh, well, I have a million dollars and... I don't care if I owe 300000 still on the house because then I'll take my 700000 I'll go buy my, my other place. And if that doesn't come to fruition, what are you going to do? Those are all great points. I was actually thinking of even the other side of this because I think this fairy tale has lasted so long that even in places where houses don't appreciate as quickly, people save into their house. They say, no, the stock market seems risky. I'm going to pay off my mortgage. Fine. Okay. But I think that paying off your mortgage and your house appreciating at all are two totally different things. I look at the last two recessions and, you know, I'm back in Detroit and talking to a friend of mine, he bought his house in 1998 and looking at the appreciation from then to now, really not that good. I mean, housing prices went up, then they went down because the auto industry uh, suffered along with the rest of the economy in the early 2000s. Then, of course, the auto industry really got hit hard in 2007, 2008. While it's rebounded now, you look at housing in this area, and yet I know, oh, gee, there are tons of people here who say, my strategy for retirement is to save into my house and then sell it. Well, the, the flatlining of appreciation is really a big deal. My mother lives in Michigan and lives in the same house that I pretty much grew up in. I moved a lot when I was a kid, but but this is kind of definitely the the house that I say that I grew up in. She bought it in 1983 for 32 and a half thousand, 40 years ago almost. Zillow would tell you that she could sell it today for 49,000. Yeah. But I can tell you that two blocks away, a very similar house I bought as a rental last year for thirty nine nine, So she's not even going to get that. Yeah. And here's the other problem. You, you look at a house that you've owned for 40 years and then go, well, it, at least it's paid off, right? I mean, they don't sell 40-year mortgages. No, but they do sell lots of 30-year mortgages. And you can imagine that the last 30-year mortgage was taken out when the house was worth 70000 So now you're into the situation in some communities, like mom, where you kind of owe about maybe what it's worth still because you took a mortgage out, you know, in early 2000 when allegedly the house was worth $65,000 or $70,000 and now it's worth 50, yo 50. So now what? You're stuck. And I think the other side of it too, that I think most people kind of don't really appreciate is what's the one thing that's consistent about house payments. It's not the mortgage because the mortgage is going to go down. 
the one thing I can tell you that's going to happen is that your property taxes and your house insurance are going to keep going up. Sure. God forbid you actually have a claim with the house insurance. It's very common. If you do that same math of like appreciation, just regular 3%, you know, inflation adjustments on your taxes, it's very common to find that you get to the end of a 30-year time horizon, you've paid your mortgage off, and now your house payment is gone, but all you have is taxes and insurance. Your taxes and insurance cost more than your original house payment was, Yeah, which was everything, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Yeah. And that's just inflation. Right. And you couple that with the McMansions that now you have, well, I don't need five bedrooms. All the kids are gone. So you're paying taxes on a property that is no longer useful. Yeah, it's a nice 5,000 square foot house in the suburbs with a pool. That's fantastic. The taxes are 22000 a year, <laughs> you know, right. which you can, quote unquote, justify when you've got a growing family and two incomes and all that sort of stuff. But now you get done and you're retired. You can't sell the house and you still have twenty five grand a year in property taxes. That's a big number. Let's talk for a second about what uh, Dr. Fow says here, that uh, paying a mortgage during retirement adds a strain to your uh, retirement income stream. What is that all about? Well, I think that's kind of what he's talking about is when those fixed expenses continue to go up and they consume a larger and larger portion of your, of your retirement income. And then the market goes down. There's nowhere to go. Well, right. Uh, well, because I'm thinking, based on everything you said, then I've got to have a bigger emergency fund to make sure that if the market does go down, I've got to make sure that I've got enough cash flow coming in from other places. I mean, the market goes down. Uh, life, life gets tough there. And in our second headline, this is from uh, CBS News. There's a new credit card out from Apple, and the question in the headline is, can Apple Card really disrupt the credit card market? If you haven't paid any attention, at Apple's big event last Monday, the company entered a whole new business, credit cards. The tech giants betting that its Apple Card will be a game changer for the credit card industry, this piece says. But most experts say they're underwhelmed, noting mostly Me Too kinds of features. Still, Apple fans are loyal, and the new card does have enough perks it could be tempting. And here's a guy that knows a lot about people and credit cards and Apple and technology. The CEO of Tiller, our good friend Peter Paulson, joins us on My Dad Shortwave. How are you, man? Hey, Joe. It's great to hear you. I'm fantastic today. Thank you. Well, so this Apple thing, you're a fan, right? I am. Now, let me just caveat that. If you're in the business of stacking Benjamins, you should be a little wary if one of the largest companies in the world has just come out with a technology that makes it easier to spend money. So let's just caveat this whole conversation with that, right? Like a few alarm bells should go off. Yeah, but but let's start off with the features. There's a 2% cash back thing, but there's some caveats to the cash back. Yeah, so 2% cash back if you're using Apple Pay, which is the touchless pay. It works really well if you have a phone or an Apple Watch, but you have to have one of those devices. If you're one of the nearly 1 billion people in the world with one of those devices, you're in luck. And if you're in a merchant that supports that, you're in luck and you get 2%. Everything else you get 1% unless it happens to be purchased at the Apple store, which is 3%. And talking to Nick at Magnify Money, he says that if you don't get 2%, you're kind of leaving money on the table. So I'm assuming if you don't have Apple Pay, you're leaving a bunch of money on the table. 
That's right. And that is a downside. I think for Apple, you know, a big reason they're doing this is it's driving Apple Pay because you're going to go into merchants and you're going to say, hey, I really want to pay with Apple Pay. Can I do it? Because you want that extra percent. So it's going to help the adoption of Apple Pay. That's Apple's goal. Right. But from your perspective, if you're buying on Amazon, they don't support Apple Pay. So you're going to get one percent. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think I saw a number and I wish I had this number right in front of me, but I believe it's less than 40% of merchants accept Apple Pay. So the numbers, right. yeah, so they're, they're trying to drive that number up. And, and that is about to go up significantly. I think that whether you're in a restaurant or whether it's Amazon, or there are going to be a lot of people saying, hey, can't I pay with Apple Pay? So I think that's that serves Apple's goals there. To me, the biggest piece here, th- there's two parts. We can talk about the polish. And I think that there's some exciting polish that Apple's doing here. But the biggest piece by far is privacy. Apple is saying that they are entering here, they're giving you a payment solution, and they are never going to see what you bought, where you bought it, or how much you paid. And from Tiller's perspective, I'll tell you, we've been over backwards never to see our customers' transactions or balances. No one, not me, not support, not dev. There aren't many companies in fintech that are doing that. And it's so exciting to see Apple coming in and saying, we're building a solution and we don't ever want to see your data. Now, there are a lot of people who put their names on credit cards, Marriott or Uber, or Amazon. They're all dying to know what's in your transactions. Marriott wants to know how often you're staying at Hyatt so they can give you the right rewards to increase the, the share. Uber wants to know how much you're paying in, paying in gas or Lyft, which are the alternatives to Uber. And you know, Amazon, of course, loves to know where else you're spending your money. They're dying to get their hands on your money or your, your spending patterns so they can use that in their own advertising, marketing, product development. Apple's coming in and saying, we don't even want to see it. We just want to give you a great payment solution. And I applaud that. And I would love to see more companies do that. I think that's a fantastic stance on privacy. I totally agree. Looking at it from the consumer side, though, Peter, I've read several things that have said that, you know, anything that emphasizes privacy hasn't gone over as well as people have hoped as experts had hoped because the basic American public goes, yeah, privacy, the Russians already have all my stuff. So, so, you know, <laughs> so, so what does privacy mean? Are people being a little flippant with that? Should we worry more about privacy than we are? I think that it's something we should all pay attention to. And there are times and places where we are happily willing to share our information because we get something from it. But we should just acknowledge that when we are sharing our information to drive advertising, to drive marketing, to drive other things, that it is we're sharing something valuable. We should be getting something back. And that's a decision we should make. And to me, it's awesome to have alternatives out there that are really putting privacy first. You know, Tim Cook's gone out and said privacy is a human right. And frankly, that's a message that I don't think a lot of the other big tech companies, <laughs> to, to put it lightly, they like they're on the other side of the fence. So I think it's awesome in this, in the world of finance to have someone big coming out with something that's privacy first. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that will, it it all depends. If you have Alexas and Google Homes all throughout your device, and if you're putting everything of all of your life on Facebook, maybe you don't care about privacy, but I do think there's a percentage of people who do. And I think that that's shifting, that's shifting terrain right now. Everyone's aware that gosh, all my data is everywhere. Am I really comfortable with that? Yeah. The, the piece that I'm afraid of is that I've, you know, looking at how 
Uh, pirates are now using data to create synthetic personalities that look and feel real and how they're creating a me that's better me than me. Like, I feel like we're just in the right. data gathering stage of that now. And five years yes. from now, we might go, man, maybe I shouldn't have been as cavalier as I was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, even just within our team here, I, we have several members of our team who have changed how they think about social media and have pulled back in the last few months. And that's that's also a conversation we're having in our family, too. I just I hear and among friends, I hear more people thinking about that. So, again, it's all about having options. Here's an option that puts privacy first. The end of this piece, a gentleman from Wallet Hub says, quote, there are other cards that have better rewards and no annual fee. He said the Apple card has no annual fee. There's a healthy market there. So from that perspective, there's nothing unique. You think that's true? Okay, so the uh, privacy is unique. The other thing is Apple has just put some polish in an Apple kind of way around, you know, it's a beautiful machined titanium card. It's, it's you know, it, it looks a heck of a lot better than any of the cards in my wallet. Some people care about that, some don't. You can apply in your phone, it's issued in real time, you get clean descriptions, it's real time data. Like honestly, that should be widespread. Every, every card should look beautiful. Every sign-up experience should be like that, but it's not. So to me, Apple's also raising the bar on some table stakes here that I think are great and are going to help the industry. I like the no numbers on the card. Yeah. There will likely be a lot less fraud on these cards because people are using touchless pay, like Apple Pay, more. So that's much more secure. And because when you do pass your card to a steward or a waiter or a waitress, they're not going to easily see the number. I think it'll be interesting to see the statistics, but I wouldn't be surprised in a year from now if Apple's touting a lower fraud rate on their cards. That's than, awesome. Than industry. Yeah. P- Peter Paulson from Tiller, thanks a ton for hanging out with us. Joe, it's good to talk to you on shortwave. Thanks to Peter for stopping by, giving us a lowdown on the new card. OG, you running out and getting the new Apple card? Uh, no. No. Do you use Apple Wallet? Yes, all the time. It's amazing to me that that's faster than the whole like chip thing. It's the, you know, you go, well, isn't it the same system? It's the same terminal device. I mean, just think about like the processing time. You get in your back pocket, you get out your wallet, you open it up, you take out your credit card. You have to hold it there until the guy goes, okay, now do it. (laughs) Right. Right. You have to do it at the right time. If it's not seated in there correctly and try again, whatever. And then, and then you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then it's like, "Eh, eh, eh, eh," which is always a crazy sound to have when your credit card's approved. Yes. Right. They did a whole, (laughs) I'm sorry. He said I could use it. They did a whole 99% invisible episode on that. Yeah. Like that just whoever created that as an idiot. It should be like, well, they changed it now. I see a hair of them. Yeah. Some, some of them not like a little more, yeah, you know, yeah. ching, ching sounds or whatever. But then you contrast that to the Apple thing. You just go, boop, you put your fingerprint down, bam, done. done. See ya. Yeah, good stuff. I think uh, that's uh, lesson number one. Even though it's shiny, I think you still got to do your research. Number two is using your house to fund your retirement might not be the safe option that you think it is. Oh, I'm so excited about today's guest. Tanya Van Court did something that a lot of us aspire to do. Someday have an idea good enough that we get to go on Shark Tank. She actually just did this a few weeks ago. You can see the spot yourself. But today we got her here in the basement. 
Tanya, of course, is the founder of Goal Setter. We'll talk a lot about her company, Goal Setter. We'll talk about the Shark Take experience. But more than anything, we'll find out just how hard her heart was beating when she went out and made her pitch. Tanya Van Cork coming down to the basement. And coming down to the basement, the biggest superstar we know, Tanya Van Cork from Goal Setter. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. But you're the biggest superstar I know, oh, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Knock it off. We know that one of us has been on Shark Tank, and it wasn't me. That would be me. That would be me. So, so, But tell me about this experience. How the heck did you first get hooked up with Shark Tank? Or did you say, you know what? You're watching it one day, and you go, I got to apply to be on the show. What happened? Based on what I do every single day, I am all about getting every kid in America to have a savings account. From the time that I wake up in the morning, literally until I go to bed, my head is all about how do I get more kids to to have savings accounts? How do I get more kids to, to know about Goal Setter? How do I get more parents and families to know about Goal Setter? And when you're doing that all day, every day, you are naturally gravitating towards what are the biggest megaphones out there? And Shark Tank for families is such a huge megaphone. I mean, you've got parents watching it, but you have parents watching it with their kids, which is what made it so appealing for me. So going on there then, based on what you're saying, were you actually really looking for investment or were you looking for a platform to talk about goal setter more? The beautiful thing about it is it's kind of a one, two punch. If you get one of the punches, but not the second of the punch, you're still in really great shape, right? They have some amazing investors who, if they do invest in your platform, can really make a difference for your company. So I was totally open to going on for investment, um, but also wanted clearly the audience that they bring and the eyeballs that they bring to you know this platform and this mission that we're leading. So is there is the, do you just go to SharkTank.com and fill out a yeah. form or what? Literally, really. Yes. <laughs> Literally, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and so how did that work? Is it a long, complex form or what? what's the form like? It's a pretty long application. Um, you know, I, I, I did sign a NDA with Shark Tank. So there are some things I can say and some things I can't say. But it's, yes, it's definitely a, a sizable application that's going to take some time. <laughs> sure. No, right. Yeah. So you fill out the application. I'm sure you're even thinking when you're filling out the application, nobody's going to call me about this. Yes, you're 100% right. How do you know? You are in my head. You, I just you know how to, <laughs> Yes, yes, that's exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, that can't happen. You're thinking nobody's going to call me, but I've got to do everything I can. Like, as an entrepreneur, you don't stop. You see brick walls and all you see is there's got to be a way over it. There's got to be, be a way through it. No does not mean no. No means not yet because I'm definitely going to accomplish that, whatever that is. So to your point, yes, I'm thinking there's no way they're ever going to call me, but I'm going to keep filling out this application anyway. How, how long was it before you got contacted and how did they contact you? And do you remember where you were? I totally remember where I was. I got a call from them. I was in San Francisco and we were a part of this amazing accelerator program called the Center for Financial Solutions Innovation, CFSI. It's all about how do you get Americans to be healthy and responsible with their money? And so I was actually about to go into my final interview for that program. 
and I was wandering around a store in San Francisco just trying to kill time. And I got a call and they said they were from Shark Tank. And I was like, are you kidding me? Is it April 1st? What are you saying? I couldn't believe it. And I was so happy. I felt, you know what I felt like, Joe? I felt like it was God and the powers that be reinforcing for me that what I was doing was living my purpose, that this is what I was supposed to be doing. That's so exciting. Now, but did they, did they invite you right on the show or did they have, I'm sure they they must have more questions. Yeah, they have more questions. They have lots more questions. So no, it wasn't an automatic invite. There are definitely more questions and, and over a period of time, right? I mean, when you have a platform like that and so many people interested in getting onto that platform, like you got to be able to separate the wheat from the shaft. And then the other thing, quite frankly, because you know, before I was running Goal Setter, I was a Nickelodeon. Yeah. So I come from this television world. They are always looking for people who are going to also be great on television. I knew that that was a part of what they would be looking for. Yeah, there's entertainment value. Yeah. They need ratings. Those guys need ratings in order to continue to make shows and in order for those sharks to be able to continue to invest. So you expect that, of course, it's going to be about whether or not I have a great business and a business that someone might want to invest in. But it's also going to be about, you know, whether or not this can make for great television. So how long between your first application and that phone call? Oh, I think it was a few months. And then how long between that phone call and you actually going on the show? A few more months. Yeah. And the show is, is the show in New York, LA? Where is it? It's filmed in LA. It's in LA. So you fly to LA. Yep. You fly there, what, the day before? I fly there in enough time to give me time to settle. Yes. Yes. But you got to have, you got to have tons of nerves. Oh my gosh. I've worked at not only Nickelodeon, I've worked at ESPN before. I've done a lot of interviews before. I've done on-air interviews. I've never been more nervous. Yeah, but well, that's what I was going to say. There's, a, I remember, because I used to, to give uh, speeches all the time, but yeah. when, I, when I spoke to random strangers, I could do that in my sleep. But when I spoke to friends and family, or if I spoke to somebody specifically about my business, that was a whole, it was a whole different thing. Right. And now imagine that you're going to speak to some random strangers about your business and they're going to ask you 52 questions in a course of 50 seconds. Sure. Right. Just nerve wracking. So those are all live. Those questions are all live and you don't know what they're going to ask you. No. What you see is what you get. Yeah. It's all happening real time and it's, you know, it's very authentic. The show is very authentic. I'm going to play a couple of clips from the show from your appearance. But before we get to that, knowing that they were going to ask a bunch of questions, how did you prepare for those things? As I, as I watched you rolling it out, I was wondering, what did you do to decide on your offer? Like, were you allowed to talk to, I don't know if you have a board of directors or people around you. How did you come up with your original offer? Well, so to your point, again, you know, you, you, you sign a non-disclosure agreement because it's important for them. It's important for any reality television show to make sure that they are keeping under wraps what's going to eventually show up on air. So I could not talk to very many people at all. I had a couple of close advisors who I talked to. They were advisors, just as you talked about on the business side. My ask was essentially based on the last time that we had raised funding, what our valuation as a company was, and 
how much money I thought was a reasonable amount of money to ask for from one of the sharks and get them invested in a way that was meaningful, right? I didn't want to give away 0.5% of my company and have them invested in some some way that, you know, wasn't meaningful enough for them to want to get engaged around my company with. I also didn't want to give away 50% of my company. So you look for a number in there that says, Based on our valuation, what percentage of the company do I reasonably think that I can give away to get them interested, but not to give away the whole enchilada? Yeah, because you're also thinking with any of these uh, sharks, it isn't just the investment capital. It's obviously what they bring to the table. It's their expertise. Yeah, that's completely right. And, you know, that's why when you see some of these episodes and you say, wow, you know, Lori Grenier is investing in that company and she's going to have them all over QVC. Right. You see the tremendous value that Lori is going to bring to that company. And she's absolutely going to help the market valuation and the market cap of that company. Right. Lori Grenier probably wouldn't be such a great investor for goal setter because we're a fintech app. And so, you know, when you talk about do they know the space and what kind of expertise and connections can they bring to the space? They're choosing carefully, but you are, too. But don't give away who did and who didn't. Let's, I won't. Let's, let's listen to the beginning. This is amazing. It was so fun watching this. I'm like, I know her. Uh, this is, uh, you were the third person to talk to the Sharks. Did you did you know at all what happened with the first two? Are these actually in the order they came on? No idea. No idea who went before me. No idea who went after me. No idea. You weren't in a green room with anybody else. Nope. Just me. Just by yourself. Boy, that could have been nerve wracking at all. Let's <laughs> let's listen to Tanya. Next up is a way to give meaningful gifts to kids. Hi, Sharks. I'm Tanya Van Court, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I'm the CEO and founder of Goal Setter. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. These doors open. Have you seen any of the sharks ahead of time? I went in to just know where my mark was. And so I saw them when I went in to know where my mark was, but that was it. Okay. Were you allowed to say hi or anything? Nothing. Nope. No. Nothing. So you're walking out. So generally you've got these chairs facing you. Everybody's got a pad of paper and you walk out there. Tell me what's going through your head. Please don't forget your lines. Please don't forget your lines. Please don't forget your lines. I'm <laughs> uh, that. I'm that. Let's continue. By the way, you can go to abc.go.com and put in Shark Tank and you can watch uh, Tanya's appearance. But, but here we go. And I'm here today seeking $200,000 in exchange for a 4% equity stake in my wow. company. Okay. You said 200000 4%. We hear Lori go, wow. We see Mark Cuban's eyes kind of go up. We see Damon Johns writing it down. Are you seeing this? Are you feeling any of the feedback when you said the number? I absolutely am seeing it and I'm feeling the feedback. So you asked me before how I prepared. Well, one of the ways that I prepared was I watched episode after episode after episode of Shark Tank. And so I had, of course, been a fan of Shark Tank before, but watched it for entertainment value. This time I watched it as if it was like a medical board exam. Like it's like it's your like it's your grad school stuff. Exactly. Like I needed it for my thesis to graduate from Stanford. (laughs) 
So, you know, it's an entirely different ball game. So I had watched many people walk out and give their offer and seen the responses and the reactions from the Sharks. And so I knew I was going to have to be able to defend that number. So a good part of what I practiced in my head was, how am I defending my valuation? How am I defending this number? Did you take there, because Lori says, wow, Damon starts writing it down. Mark kind of puts his head back. Did you see that as good or bad? I saw it as surprised. And so part of my mental preparation that I did before I went in, Joe, was to not let anything daunt me. It goes back to that, you know, like there's a wall, I'm going to run through it. So, you know, what I told myself was it's not over until it's over. So if anyone comes back with anything that's negative, either try to take whatever they've said and turn it to positive or provide them more information or find a way around it. But, you know, them rolling eyes and tossing their head back, that wasn't a no. That was they digested information and however they digested it. And I still had a good amount of time to help them understand why that was going to be a great investment. for them. Because I didn't take it either way either. I didn't know if it was good or if it was bad. I'll tell you what I thought. I thought 4%, uh, you know, it, I mean, in, in the huge scheme of things, you're not asking for a ton of money when you look at what these people are talking about, but only 4% of the company and you're getting all of this feedback from these big names. I'm like, okay, she's kind of going low. Let's see. <laughs> what, what, did, <laughs> well, you know what, Joe, you got to understand that you're only walking in and thinking these are really big names. If you haven't been around any rock stars or superstars before. And so, you know, with my company, some of the people on our advisory board are people like Carla Harris, who's a vice chair of Morgan Stanley. And Carla is a rock star. Yeah. So so it would not be prudent for me as the CEO of a company to let people in and give them more of my company than other people could get, right? Who who deliver the same kind of value. Gotcha. Let's listen to just a little bit more. And this is cool for people. Tanya's been on before talking about Goal Setter, and we'll link to that in our show notes page, but she's going to tell you again right here uh, what Goal Setter is all about. Anyone with kids can tell you our children get too much stuff. From birthdays to holidays, your houses are taken over by toys and gifts that your kids play with just once, if you're lucky. By the time they're 12, the average American child has received almost $7,000 worth of junk. (laughs) Gift giving for kids needs a redesign. And that's exactly what Goal Setter is all about. Rather than give kids more stuff they don't need, we provide a platform that lets family members and friends give kids money to save for goals that they really care about. With Goal Setter, there's no more giving gift cards that say, I can't wait to see what you buy next. Instead, family members and friends can give goal cards and say, I can't wait to see what you do next. The money is deposited into an FDIC-insured savings account accessible through our site where kids can watch their savings grow. Real money towards real dreams. Robotics camp, music lessons, gymnastics, 
college. It doesn't matter what kids save for because kids who have savings accounts in their name are six times more likely to go to college and four times more likely to own stocks by the time they're young adults, no matter how much is in those accounts. So Sharks, if you want to truly transform kids' futures, join me in getting them signed up to save with Goal Setter. Bam! <laughs> Bam! Why, why don't I just hand you my wallet right now? <laughs> Dropping my proverbial mic and taking your wallet <laughs> instead, Joe. <laughs> now, during that time, and people can't see this, and by the way, like I said, just go to uh, abc.go.com while they're showing the current season, and you can go back and, and watch this. But you're getting serious head nod from Mark Cuban. You're getting good reactions. I don't remember what the new guy's name is, the guy that sat in that one episode. Jamie Siminoff, he's the founder of Ring the Doorbell. That's, that sold that's for, right. Yeah, billions of dollars to Amazon. Yeah, no, that's super cool. So Jamie, I can't really read what he's thinking. Damon's giving you kind of surprise like he didn't know any of the statistics. Lori seems to be right there with you. Kevin seems to be negative the entire time. Like the entire time you're talking, he seems to be negative. Immediately when you finish... Kevin jumps on it. I mean, jumps on it in a really negative way saying, Hey, so it's a kid's birthday party and they open up this thing. That's not a basketball, not a gift. What does that do to you when the very first shark says something negative, like out the door, or is that the way most episodes go? Well, I don't think that's the way that most episodes go. I was already a little bit bolstered by the fact that I saw a lot of head yeah. nods happening. Yeah. Right. So I saw head nods happening and I'm like, they get it. They get the consumer need. They have kids. I know that several of them have kids. They understand that kids in general, including their kids, need to save. Right. So I already thought they get it. So when he came with a negative question, you know, for me, it was like, I knew we were going to get some of these, right? I mean, every episode has some negative questions. So it was great. I have to, again, help him to understand the value and why his experience isn't everyone's experience. Why there are two thirds of moms out there who tell us their kids have so much stuff that when they get gifts, they don't even open them, Joe. Yeah. They just stick them in the corner. They never even pay attention to them. So this fantasy of, hey, a kid is going to be so disappointed when they don't get 20 more gifts and when they get money towards something they really care about instead, you know, I got to help you understand that that's not the way that the world is anymore. And it may have been that way 30 years ago, but it's not that way today. We're going to uh, do spoilers now. So anybody that wants to watch this first, you should go watch it because we're going to we're going to now dig into some of the negotiation just for a, a few minutes. So pause right here. Go watch it. Come back afterwards if you'd like. We'll give you just a couple seconds here. And uh, now we're going to continue. But Mark Cuban then asks you about opening a savings account. Is that a question you get often about how hard it is for to open up a savings account for a kid? It is totally a question that we get often. And in fact, since that episode was filmed, we've actually changed how we position Goal Setter and we talk about it as a savings account designed specifically for kids with multiple ways to save. Family members and friends can give goal cards. Parents can connect their bank account and round up their checking account purchases or contribute to their kids' goals through autosave. And kids can sign up for allowance and learn to earn their own money to make their dreams come true. 
but it's all about we're a savings account with multiple ways for kids to get money in. And it's exactly what Mark said. What parents find is I want a savings account for my kid and it's really hard to open one up. Yeah, no, that was wild and how you made that very easy. And then they start asking about hard numbers. I'm sure you knew that was coming, right? That they were going to ask some hard number questions. I got to tell you, I had numbers all written on a piece of paper that I was studying for the entire week before. Well, and I thought, and I don't know, do they cut this down a lot? They cut it down some. I wouldn't say a lot. Okay. Because I was surprised that you didn't get more hard number questions. You got like three. You got a number about opening the, the savings account and how much money you make on that, what your costs are. You got a question about the asset management component and how much money you make on that. And then you got another question. I can't remember exactly what that was, but you got fewer questions on that than I thought you were going to get. Were you kind of surprised? I was a little bit surprised by that. I thought I would get more hard number questions, which is exactly why I was studying the numbers for a week before I walked in. I was like, you know, they're going to ask a bunch of questions about numbers from every end of the spectrum, right? There are so many, because we're a financial services platform or a fintech platform, there are a lot of numbers you can ask about. So we definitely thought, I definitely thought that we would get more questions about that. I think the fact that we didn't get more questions about that, particularly from Kevin O'Leary, just points to the fact that he gets that this could be a big business, right? Like when we started talking about the assets under management and the percentage that our banks give us back and that we will return to our customers, you know, those were all new to him. That was new to him. And so I think as he started to understand the world that we live in, he started to think like, wow, this could be a big business. And I don't think anyone doubted that. I don't remember, and I'm actually, for those of you listening, I'm not trying to avoid this other brand that he talked about, but he talked about he was on either on a board or Philly with a, with, with another brand that's helping kids save. Had you? I'm sure you've heard of this brand that he was talking about. You know, it's really funny that you said that because I had not heard of the brand before going on to Shark Tank. It's a nonprofit that he started. So gotcha. it's his own nonprofit, right? Yeah, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm not trying to avoid it. I just don't remember from that episode. I didn't. I didn't make a note. Yeah, I don't remember it either, and I should remember it, and I apologize that I don't remember it. Um, I think we were talking about apples and oranges. I mean, with Goal Setter, my background is not finance. My background is not nonprofits, you know, the, the two places that he's talking about adding value. My background is that I come from Nickelodeon, which is all about how do you engage and excite kids yeah. about learning? Yeah. I come from discovery education, which is all about multimodal learning for kids mapped to national standards. That, so, didn't, get, that didn't get emphasized enough. I don't feel like that really ever came out. And I don't think the sharks got to hear that. You're 100% right. It didn't get emphasized enough because my background, quite frankly, Joe, makes all the difference in terms of my product yeah. and how we think about kids and how we've developed things like we have these awesome quizzes now that are rooted in hip hop artists, recording personalities, television influencers that give kids questions that they can relate to, but map back to financial literacy standards. So they're learning while they're playing the quiz. Well, well stop foreshadowing, by the way, you got to stop foreshadowing because we're getting to that. Uh, but let's listen to a little bit more because this happened very, very fast then. I like what you're doing. I think it makes sense in a lot of ways. I think you're on your way to getting there, but I don't think you're there yet. And so for that reason, I'm out. No. 
that that was fast. I felt the same way, Joe. I was like, what? Wait, yeah, you're yeah. out? I thought you would be in. Why would you be out? <laughs> yeah, she went from serious head nod to I'm done. I uh, mean, it's literally like you're walking down the aisle and like this man has told you he is completely in love with you and you get to the end of the aisle and he turns to you and says, I'm out. I was you're amazed. Like, what? <laughs> I was amazed. And that was followed right here. Oh. So Tanya, I love what you're doing. The problem is, it's so outside of what I do in terms of physical product. I'm sorry, I'm out. Jamie, are you sure? I don't know that I expected that, but when he explained why he was out, I got it. And he was just like, listen, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to have you explain it to me because it's so far out of my field of vision. I had a lot of respect for that. I had a tremendous amount of respect for that, but I liked him so much as a human being that I just, I just wanted to be around him. I wanted him to like, you know, I wanted to do conference calls with him every week and just chat about what we were up to. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to be on a first day basis now that you've been on the show, you know. That's right. I'm sending him an email as we speak. Yeah. So, so let's continue. Maybe Amazon can sign up to give all of its employees yeah, Jamie, as an employee happen. benefit, right? I'm writing a note right <laughs> Thank now. Thank you. Jeff. Right. Well, here's what I think about it. You know, Minka, my daughter, she's two and a half. She doesn't give anybody a hug unless they have a gift with them. And for her to open an email, she probably just would be like, what is this? Uh, so, um... <laughs> I love the fact you're teaching financial intelligence, but uh, I just don't think this one's for me. I'm out. Okay. Well, thank He thought the fact that his daughter not getting a gift would be negative and he's out. I think that the fact that 90% of wealthy people lose their wealth by the third generation is a good enough reason for him and every other wealthy person to be in. Stop appeasing your kids, Damon. That's what you should have said. Stop appeasing your kid. I should (laughs) have. And, th- and then we go to this. Thank you, Damon. But what we have seen when we have done testing for the younger kids, they have so much stuff that mom is tired of answering the calls like, what should I get me? Yeah, we, look, what should I get me? Aspirationally and goal-wise, it makes perfect sense, right? You know, Tanya, right? If, if you just said, look, it's hard to open up a bank account for your kids. Do you it here. Have, yeah. Because then you'd have no overhead. That's an easy business. You've complicated this to no end. I actually don't think, Mark, that this is complicated to know when. I think it's actually super simple. And wait, what wait, we've heard look, from parents. I appreciate what you're trying to accomplish, but I'm out. Bam. It was like four. Just boom, 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 boom. Just gone. Gone. And then it's you and Kevin. And so so, so now you're down to Kevin. And now you see why they call it Shark Tank. <laughs> I thought, I personally thought, even while Mark was explaining why he was out, that he was still in. And by the way. Did you agree with his assessment at all that it was too complicated? No, I don't think it's too complicated. I think that, you know, Mark heard us talking about goal cards instead of savings accounts. And he said, wow, this is complicated. I think the truth of the matter is a little tweak in positioning, you know, makes it really, really simple. So my goal right now is we're going to get Mark Cuban in as an investor at some point (laughs) in the future. You just wait and see, Joe. Well, I love what he said (laughs) afterwards, by the way. He's like, I loved her. I mean, yeah. I mean, and they all agreed. They, everybody that was out agreed. So now it's you and Kevin. And so Kevin immediately makes a counter and he says he's going to make it aggressive because he says that he understands the space better than anybody. <laughs> and so he's going to offer you, uh, I don't remember, what was it? Still 200,000, but for 25% of the company. You remember, sir, you remember quite well. That was the exact offer. Yeah. So you're immediately, based on what you said earlier, you're immediately just thinking, yeah, I can't do that. 
Absolutely. There's no way I could do that. And there's no way I could do it given who my current investors are. No, that's what I mean. And yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Sure. And the level, you know, that, that they invested at, it would be devaluing their investment. Yeah. So I knew I absolutely couldn't do that. But you did come back with a counteroffer. So you must have gone into the room knowing that you had some room to counter. Well, look, I think that the value that any one of those investors can bring with their network, the television show, et cetera, that brings their investment to more than just dollars and cents. It then becomes, wow, this person may be worth more because of all that they can do. Yeah. Again, as we talked about earlier, you got to weigh that against your current investors and all that they can do and all that they are doing. So, yeah, I felt like we had a little bit of room to wiggle, but certainly not 25 percent of room to wiggle. Yeah, no. But I mean, to your point, he would bring a lot of uh, face like people see his face. They know immediately who he is. And even though he's a bully, have sometimes having the bully on your side, I think could be a could be a good thing. Yeah, I think that that's right. You know, we have been fortunate to have a lot of people who are not bullies on our side. They have. And so they have, you know, they've taken us far. I mean, they have really opened up their Rolodexes and made connections for us. And also, as an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily want the bully as one of your investors, because when things go south, you don't want to get bullied. And things always will, right? Undoubtedly. So, you know. I was just thinking that same thing, Tanya. I just got done reading, uh, well, reading, it was an audible, so I was listening to Tony <laughs> Shea's Delivering Happiness about Zappos and talking about how at the end of Zappos being a private company outside of Amazon, part of the reason they went to Amazon was because they had investors that didn't have the same goals that they had. And these investors wanted to get their money out. And he, he was kind of between a rock and a hard spot when his board wasn't going the same way he was going. You could totally see Kevin being that guy. Yeah. It's really tricky. Whenever you take on any kind of investor, you have to manage the balancing act and the dance between how much value are they going to bring and how much potential damage could they bring if we're not on the same page? And so I think that's why any deal is hard to do, particularly if it's coming out of a reality TV show kind of segment, because you don't know that person very well and you haven't developed a long-term relationship with them. Many of my investors, I have a long-term relationship with, so I completely know what to expect from them when things you know, go awry. So you come up to 8% and uh, this was the last exchange and I want to get your take on this. You know, I'm talking myself out of it. The more no, I think about the work. We're three months away from interface and compliance with no, the large not. platform. No, you're we're not. We're going to do a deal, And Kevin, Tanya, remember, he's right never deal. been wrong before. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm just too valuable for this. That's It's just, it. I have Tanya, to work on it. You can take my seat when you make it. Just show him. All right, Kevin. I'm sorry, but you're out. <laughs> well said, Tanya. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Mark Mark Cuban, the first one to say, awesome. <laughs> and how, how timely were those words from uh, Jamie? Like, you don't want this. Jamie delivered that package right on time. But yes. I'm thinking, I've known you for a couple of years now, and you were already thinking the same thing. I was already thinking the same thing, but, you know, when you're, 
in the tank and I'm a sole founder. I don't have anyone there standing shoulder to shoulder. You don't have a lifeline of a phone that you can pick up and go, hey, am I making the right decision, right? And so Jamie became, you know, that that little angel on my left shoulder who I needed to hear from to say, you're making the right decision. You hold your head up high and you keep it moving because you're going big places with or without Mr. O'Leary. That's what I needed. I just needed that extra little jolt of confidence. I knew what I was doing was the right thing to do by my investors. And so you just needed someone to say, yeah, it's also the right thing to do by you. And it's the right thing to do for the company. And it's the right thing to do for your future. And I think Jamie gave me all of that in his few words. In his defense, Kevin O'Leary laughed immediately and said, thank you. And he was very gracious when you said you're out. He was so gracious and they were all so supportive. I mean, I really appreciated the response from all of them because look, Jamie went on the show. I think it was five years ago. He didn't get an offer from anyone. And he turned around and sold his company for multiple billions of dollars to Amazon. So the thing that I loved about their response was, Their response was, we can still like her. We can still believe in her company, but we're not the right investors for her necessarily for whatever reason, because we can't make a deal that we both agree to because we don't have any expertise in her space. But that doesn't mean that Tanya's not going to go and do great things. And that was a real compliment to me. That felt really good to me. Well, and that's what I like too. Like in, in retrospect, at first, when most of the sharks went down immediately, I was like, whoa. And then I thought, well, how much could they really have have helped her and how great, you know, I think a big problem in life is many of us see these shiny objects that have nothing to do with our calling and we get distracted. These people are very successful. I think partly because they don't get distracted, they wouldn't have helped you. I thought, frankly, Cuban and O'Leary being the last two in were probably the closest that you could have worked with anyway. So it, you know, in hindsight, it kind of went the way that it kind of went the way it should have. That was, that was fantastic. I love that you said that. And I love that you give the analogy about getting distracted by shiny objects, right? They said nice things about me, which meant that I was somewhat of a shiny object to them, hopefully, right? But they didn't get distracted by that. And I thought nice things about them, but I didn't get distracted by that, Yeah. right? And so I think it's an important lesson to learn on both sides of the table. Investors shouldn't necessarily get distracted by shiny objects, but neither should entrepreneurs. Well, you're, 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 you're shut down of Kevin O'Leary, you're out, (laughs) clearly showed that you weren't going to get distracted by the shiny object. We are way over. Thanks for hanging out with us. Everybody can find out more at goalsetter.co. You guys are just rocking, Tanya. It's so exciting. Joe, thank you. I love being in the basement. I love hanging out with you. Thank you so much for all of the support always. Well, thank you for sharing this with us. It was so fun. And congratulations on uh, on knocking an investor. That's awesome. the first time I've gotten congratulated on that, but I'll take it, Joe. (laughs) Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And how exciting is this? Dude, you don't even know. You don't, you just, you don't even know. Make sure you're sitting down as I introduce you to Doug Vision 360. Imagine this. I've done so many of these episodes. 735 to be exact, but that Joe's mom has a treasure trove of Dougisms packed away in a vault. All we got to do is whip them out, 
throw them into this gizmo I created right here. And I'll place it that right next to the mic and the, and now it'll perform all of my stacking Benjamin's appearances. Check this out. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Hear that? That wasn't even me. That was me in 2016. While that speech I can recreate electronically, let's make your trivia question today one speech that was for the ages. Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous mountaintop speech on today's date in what year? I'll be back with the answer, plus how I'm going to revolutionize all of your favorite podcasts later in the show. We talked Monday about the time box. If you missed that episode, you've got two choices when it comes to your time. You can keep expanding the amount of time that you work, or you can become more productive during that time. And obviously, at some point, the time box can't expand anymore. And to be more productive, you have to be healthy. You have to be able to focus and concentrate on whatever it is you're trying to do. And not only will health and wellness help you get there, it's also the same for health and wellness. It's not fundamentally about what you eat or how to train, although those are very important pieces. What MetPro focuses on is time management, working smarter, establishing a game plan specific to your goals and your lifestyle needs. MetPro has a unique and important point of view on what true net worth actually means. Their experience helping CEOs, industry leaders, celebrities meet unique challenges gives them a remarkable insight on anyone who wants to see a greater return on investment in their life. Here's what we like about what MetPro does and why OG is going through the program right now. MetPro actually uses science, uses data, technology, and techniques that they've developed from that data to help thousands of executives and business leaders learn how to optimally manage their health and achieve their associate performance goals, even though they sometimes have extensive travel, they have demanding schedules, they need to focus on a lot of different things. So because of that, they need a comprehensive strategy based on data that's going to work quickly. It's like the rest of your life. You don't want to spend your life spending time thinking just about health and wellness. You want to use that to do the things that you really want to accomplish with your day with your week, with your life. MetPro gives you a wealth of knowledge about your metabolism and what methods will work best for your individual health goals. And because your metabolism is constantly changing and adapting to your environment without identifying a starting point, it's hard to determine the right strategy. So they start off with this metabolic profiling, and that's a process that lets MetPro get a baseline to see exactly how your body's responding against a very specific set of variables. Once again, very scientific, and you're not doing this alone. MetPro's experts are trained to take those results and translate them for you into simple, actionable steps, and then they guide you along the path. So here's how you get started. For a complimentary metabolic profiling yourself, a metabolic profiling assessment, and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert, head to metpro.co, that's metpro.co, not com, metpro.co.sb, and you'll begin your journey to better health and wellness with MetPro. When it comes to yogurt, it's like tax evasion. No one does it better than the Greeks. That's why at Aristophanes Yogurts, we only employ Greeks or people who look Greek to bring you that smooth Greek taste every time. Aristophanes Yogurts. Keep it Greek. 
Hey there, trivia fan, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I didn't say that either. Oh man, this is brilliant. I'll never have to work again. Better yet though, I can sell this technology to make all your favorite money podcasts even better. Check out how I can take things from the past and use them to improve the Dave Ramsey show. So you guys just don't talk a lot, do you? I'm just focused on foamy beverages. Or better yet, how about frugal friends? And if you're at a thrift store and they won't go lower on something, I've at pawn shops taken small things and be like, okay, I'll pay this, but I want a new TV or iPhone XL super mega d- deluxes thrown in too. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or check this one from Jill on Money. I'm really kind of interested to find out how much you think you need to live on in general. Lots of ice cream at dessert and incredibly comfortable and great looking swag and a lot of money. Oh, I'm going to be so rich. In fact, I'm going to write a letter to Jill right now to sell her on this one. As soon as I deliver today's trivia, which was this. On today's date, in what year did Martin Luther King make his famous mountaintop speech? It was on today's date in 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee, that King delivered his famous address. It was a stormy night and the weather was bad, but the turnout was not, as people packed the church to hear King talk about what a better place he could see from the mountaintop. The next day, King was assassinated at his hotel. The year, 1968. See ya! What an amazing story, huh? Mm-hmm. Big thanks to Tony Van Court. For It'd just be cool to be in the room with all those people. <laughs> I think so, too. I think that'd be so, so intimidating. Oh, it'd be everything. It, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it'd be all of that. It'd be uh, like intimidating, starstruck, like me, good thing, you give money, do. Wait a minute. You, you are Damon John sitting right there looking at me, wondering if you're going to we might be working together. You are Mark yeah. Cuban. I might be working with you. You're yeah. Barbara Corcoran. I might be working with you. Wait a minute. Right. You're Kevin O'Leary. I might be working. I'd, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be over the... Yeah. 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 I'll work with any of you. I know. Yes. Be a dollar. I'm in. Accepted. <laughs> like, right. Yep. It's so good. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first... Early shopping for Easter candy early. and scheduling my dentist appointment. Early <laughs> early eating of, of the kids. Early sampling. Yeah, I went out to the... Well, you got to make sure it's not poison for the kids. Uh, a really cool company called Sanders, based in the Detroit area, has a factory mm-hmm. here. And uh, Cheryl and I took my sister and my niece out there this last week when they were here visiting. Talk about cool watching the rows of little chocolates go down the line from little baby chocolates to the salted caramel, little salt pieces being uh, sprinkled on top of them, the big giant heaters. It was pretty cool. They really dissuade you at CVS from sampling all of the stuff in the aisle to make sure it's not poison. They don't sign off on that. Well, you know, customer service, it's going away. It is. They don't take care of their customers. I'm trying to take care of the little guy. Make sure nobody, no kid gets injured this Easter. That is, because you can stop them before they have to go all the way back to the pharmacy. Yep. You know, imagine having to go find a way away from that. It's actually your loved ones and your time. 
Of course, you'll have your loved ones around longer if you dissuade them from eating poison. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Their application is simple and online. You'll get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. We're going to have Brittany Burgett Mayer from Haven Life join us on a Facebook Live coming up. And if you get our Stacker newsletter or follow us on Facebook, you'll know when that's coming up here in the next few weeks. So all your insurance questions can be answered. But for today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Les. Say hi, Les. Hey, Joe and OG. Thanks for taking my question. I have both W-2 and 1099 income. This year, the 1099 income was substantial, and so I will owe additional taxes uh, beyond uh, what my W-2 employer withheld. Can I just ask my W-2 employer to increase withholding rather than send estimated taxes to cover the 1099 income, which I expect will be similar in this upcoming year? Leaving you the voicemail and hoping to snag a free T-shirt. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thanks for the question, Les. Now, a great question by Les, OG, and he certainly has a valid question that I'm sure there's people in our audience that have that same question. I'll tell you, I've had that question in the past Mm -hmm. when I had two different types of income. So great question. But I will tell you, didn't bring it the same way that the dude brought it last week. Got to step up, stackers. The creativity on these calls, OG. Mm Mm-hmm. Could be a smidge better. Damn, you're calling people out, yo. Les is a cool dude. Bravely asked his question. I'm just saying that for you're this... You're smacking him around. You're like, not good enough. For this Try community, harder. for this community, we can do better, Les. So, yes, we're going to send you the shirt because wow. we have empathy maybe here. We'll, maybe we'll send you the one that's too small <laughs> if Joe's in charge. I told you I like the ones that are too small. <laughs> Uh, great question, Les. The IRS doesn't care how they get their money. They do care about when they get their money, though. If you want to have your employer increase your W-2 withholdings to account for the fact that you have some 1089 earnings and make it so you don't have to do quarterlies, perfectly fine. The only thing that I would add to that, or just maybe kind of a sidebar, would be if your 1099 income is lumpy. So maybe, for example you uh, run a Christmas store in the mall and you only make money from November and and December, like till Christmas, you make money in two months, then I wouldn't want my taxes being withheld in January for something I'm going to earn in November. And so the IRS does allow you to tell them when you earned your money. Now they assume that you earned it evenly throughout the year. Therefore, they expect their money evenly throughout the year. And the best you can do is quarterly. You're su- suggesting that you want to do it, you know, biweekly or monthly, however your however your existing company pays their tax bill, which is fine. But I would say that if you have your 1099 income that's very lumpy, I would just want to pay it when I earned it. If it's uniform throughout the year, perfectly fine. But maybe you own a landscaping company or a partner in a landscaping company and you just make money in the summer. Well, I don't want to be paying taxes in the winter for money that I'm supposed to earn in the summertime, in which case I would just do it as instructed by your CPA. But you can tell the IRS, 
no, no, I didn't earn this hundred thousand dollars in even installments throughout the year. I just earned it these last two months. And then that'll avoid having to withhold it throughout the year. But, um, but if it's uniform, a consulting gig or something like that, or a commission job, that would be another thing that would, uh, possibly be a 1099 type of uh, arrangement. Yeah. Just withhold it with your W2 job, your W2 job. Yeah. It, it certainly makes life a lot easier. Well, it makes it so you don't have to write a big $30,000 check at the end of the year. Well, that's what I mean. It just in, makes in most people's life is easier. It just, sure. it just makes planning easier because, because you can count on consistent paycheck consistently yeah. being withheld. You don't have to have a separate line item. You're, you're really, you're really using your HR department of the company you work for. You are subcontracting them to take care of your 1099 stuff yeah. Yeah. Uh, on your behalf, which, Hey, if you can get free labor, that's fantastic. Well, I think it's also, you know, this is a good time to also talk about how spending and and income don't have to be necessarily correlated. A lot of times if you're a 1099 employee and a W2 employee, maybe you have two different jobs, but let's say the 1099 one is a commission type job. Sometimes your commission checks are 15 bucks. Sometimes they're 1500 bucks. Sometimes they're 15,000 bucks. If that's the case, you have to recognize that you need a break between the income and the spending. Mm. And that's where it really makes a lot of sense. Joe, you taught me this a long time ago is Put all your money in a different place. Direct deposit your paycheck in your savings account. Spend out of your checking account. Because spending is spending. Earnings are earnings. Those are two different different things. But I think a lot of people look at it, especially in a commission-type job, they go, oh, well, today, yeah, commission check's only $1,500. I guess, guess we're not doing anything. And then, and then it's like, commission check's $15,000. Woo! We're going to Jamaica! You know, and it gets crazy. Just like you spread out your tax bill, spread out your spending like that. But you can only do that if you separate those two thoughts. Disassociate the two. Love it. Thanks for the question, Les. We also get letters here. And unfortunately, on Monday, we had to uh, skip our letter because the show was running long. But today we don't. Today we're going to uh, answer this letter from Nathan. Nathan says he has a 457 plan through work. It's just another type of retirement plan in the USA. It's approximately 70-30 traditional to Roth. He said he's leaving soon for another job with a 457 that doesn't have a match. Does he, number one, leave it where it's at. Number two, transfer to his new job plan, even though there's no match. Number three, transfer to his TSP, even though his TSP is all currently Roth. Number four, transfer to a traditional IRA and convert it into my current Roth. My wife will only work half this year. and We're having our second kid. I believe I'll be able to cover the necessary taxes. We're only 32, fairly aggressive with our retirement savings, roughly 25% of our income. Thanks for the question, Nathan. Again, good, clear, could do better. Also not enough info, but... Well, let's talk about that. What, what info do we need? We, we don't know the balance. We don't know his tax rates. He's assuming that we have to put the money into an IRA and convert it immediately to a Roth. That's not necessarily the thing that you have to do. You can put it into an IRA. So going through his options, option number one, leave it. No, bad option. Option number two, put it in the new plan, even though there's no match. There is no value in the second part of that conversation. What I mean by that is I don't care that there's no match. That has no bearing on whether or not you put new money into it. It's a tax deferred plan, so it will accept your rollover contributions. You mean, it, not, you mean it doesn't matter about rollover money because rollover money and match are two different things 
those are two separate things yeah, altogether. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And whether or not you contribute to it, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't, even if there is no match. Why would you you're just like, well, those idiots aren't giving me extra money. I'm not saving for my retirement. The match is icing on the cake. It's the tax deferral that's the win. Yeah. And the fact that you actually need to do it anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and it allows you to do three times the amount of money that a normal Roth would do. So I don't know why you wouldn't do it. If your decision is, well, they don't give me a match, so I'm not going to save money. Like, uh, wrong. <laughs> You're the one that loses in that that long term, by the way. But that's a common decision people Oh, it make. totally is. Like, I don't, oh, I'm not going to put money in my 401k. They don't give me a match. Yeah. Like, or like, I don't trust my employer, which generally yeah. your employer doesn't run the 401k anyway. They outsource it to a third party that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Allegedly knows what they're doing. Um <laughs> Whole different rabbit hole. Whole different one. So that's a fine option. I think you'd want to look at what sort of fund options you have and that sort of thing. I do agree. If you're not going to contribute to it, if you have a 457, you may also have like a 403B or a 401k also. So maybe you're thinking, well, I'll just contribute to the 403B instead of the 457 at this place. Okay, fine. And then lastly, uh, should you roll it over to an IRA? That's probably what most people do. And depending on your circumstances, what kind of the normal recommendation is because you have much more control over it than, than the workplace plan. But again, those decisions are separate and distinct from, do I also need to save money into it? And then, and then you kind of layered another thing in there of PS, I'm having a kid and I might convert this to a Roth. Okay. That's a whole nother calculation. So we have multiple decisions here that are separate and distinct from one another. I think the common uh, advice is to have it go into a separate IRA or Roth, depending on the tax treatment based on your, you know, that you can, you can invest based on however is appropriate for you. And then I think the most commonly heard advice is to put it into a, an account controlled by you, you know, an IRA or Roth depending. And then the rest of this stuff is individual planning. You know, do you convert it or not or whatever? That's a whole different thing. And on my end, Nathan, I'll just give you a little context here. The reason why OG and I don't like you to leave it where it's at right now is because you'll end up with these little balances all over the place. And what you find is that it's impossible to manage that money. I like having that common advice that OG talks about, which is one big dashboard, which is all the money from your old jobs all in one place. And I can diversify that. And then the company that I work at currently, and I can diversify that. So I got two different things. That's also, by the way, why I don't like transferring it to the new job is because of the fact if the new job doesn't have great choices, or even if they do now, if they decide to switch over to choices that I don't like as much, I'm a passenger. I don't get to make those decisions. So the IRA, it can be worse, it can be better, but you get to choose. So um, like like those, and I'm totally with OG about uh, converting it to the Roth. That's all individual planning stuff. Thanks for the question, Nathan, and also Les, if you'd like to bring your best game to the Stacking Benjamin Show, here's how you do it. StackingBenjamins.com, and at the top of the page, it says questions for the show. Click that link, and you'll see all the ways to interface with us. That's going to do it for today. And last, before we send this over to Doug, if you're ready to get serious about your financial planning and want good help in your corner, OG and his firm are taking clients. That's uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG is the link to go over there. 
All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned on this Wednesday? Well, Joe, you might not have been paying attention, but I sure was. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Tanya Van Court. Preparation and determination are what help you achieve your goals. Use both to go achieve your dreams. Second, maybe Peter Polson from Tiller is right. Privacy? It may not mean much to you now, but you don't know when you're going to want it in the future. And if you don't protect yourself now, it'll be impossible to put that genie in the bottle later. But the big lesson? Don't call Jill Schlesinger to ask about Doug Vision 360. Let's just say that apparently some people just don't have the eye for the future that old Doug has. I'll be back, Jill. I'll be back. Special thanks to Tanya Van Court for joining us today. You'll find more about Goal Setter at goalsetter.co. Thanks also to Peter Polson for talking to us. You'll find more on his company, Tiller, at stackingbenjamins.com slash tiller. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. I say a big thanks to uh, to Benjamin Partridge, who is the mastermind behind uh, a podcast that I like. I wrote to him and said, hey, can we use your yogurt commercial as part of our show? And if you heard the Aristophanes yogurt, it's like tax evasion, OG. Nobody does it better than the Greeks. I People talk about having coffee in their mouth and hearing something and Cheryl and I were driving down the road. We just gotten a, just gotten a Starbucks and man, was that difficult? Not spitting my coffee all over the car. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so this is part of a podcast called the beef and dairy network podcast. My current uh, favorite podcast. I still, my long-term favorite Betty in the sky with a suitcase, still my favorite podcast, but the beef and dairy network podcast no winks, no nods, straightforward discussions about the Beef and Dairy Network and you sh- or about beef and dairy. You should begin listening to episode one. Don't go to the middle. I told mom's neighbor, Doug, to listen to this a couple of weeks ago. 
He's like, I listened to episode like 36 and it seemed like some inside jokes and I didn't, I'm like, I told you to listen to episode one, start from the beginning and they build on top of each other. I am though going to give you a little hint. Now that you know that it's comedy, listen to the beginning of episode three here because there is uh, some very funny comedy right at the beginning of this episode. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is sponsored by Grazex, the latest grass replacement pellet from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. Grazex is available as either an easily digested pellet or as water-soluble granules, which in cases of full mouth collapse can be administered rectally. For a limited time only, look out for a golden ticket in promotional sacks to win a chance to visit our Kentucky pellet mill. and welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and printed magazine, brought to you by Grazex. As mentioned in the advert, be sure to look out for your golden ticket for your chance to win a visit to the Mitchell's Pellet Mill in Turkey Hills, Kentucky. Last week, Mitchell's treated all the staff here at the network to a trip to Kentucky and a tour of the mill, and I have to say, it was an absolute treat. Not only did we get a valuable insight into how their market-leading grass replacement pellets are developed, we also got to see their various pellet presses, stoves and famous heritage barns. Also, there is a fascinating museum on site with a number of evocative audiovisual slideshows. Also, and I'll say this because I promised I would, a big beef and dairy shout out to the diminutive race of pygmies they employ to operate their machinery. On the show today, the- and he goes on, the diminutive race of pygmies they employ who operate the machinery. All of it done. No wink, no nod, straightforward. By the way, but but you start to see it over time, OG. Number one, Cheryl's favorite is is that theme with the cow mooing at the end of it. Mm-hmm. At the, it, it gets funnier and funnier the more you hear it. Like when we first heard it, you're looking for clues. And later on where you kind of know where the clues are about uh, what they're joking about. Like as an example, the number one, the number one podcast about the beef and dairy industry. Like it beat the other one. <laughs> How many podcasts? And, and it's the companion to the printed magazine. Like who the hell sits and reads a printed magazine about beef and dairy and, and not just for beef and dairy professionals for just people who are fans of the industry. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, it, well done. It, it is very dry. You're not going to laugh out loud a lot, but you will find yourself throughout the days and the weeks after you listen to episodes repeating. Repe- huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or repeating the stuff. Like there's a line from a, from one of the podcasts about uh, hot beef sausages and Cheryl and I walked around all day long about what we were going to have for lunch. We were just going to have some delicious. No, it wasn't hot beef. It was rich beef, rich beef sausages. We're going to have rich beef sausages. Very funny podcast. So big thanks to uh, Mr. Partridge to Benjamin Partridge, a comedian for allowing us to, to use that Aristophanes yogurt commercial and, um, yeah, go listen to Beef and Dairy Network podcast. Ten minutes an episode, by the way. It's, oh, okay, really quick. Oh, yeah, not a huge investment of time. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is 
Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.